Ohio Governor Mike DeWine had to cancel his interview with our editorial endorsement board or our editorial board of Cleveland.com and the Plain Dealer today because of COVID. We hope he gets better quickly. We were looking forward to having a chat with him. It is Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with my colleagues, Courtney Astolfi, Layla Atassi, and Lisa Garvin. There is full coverage outside, snow on the ground. Lisa, (laughs) why did you leave Texas? (laughs) Because of the humidity. (laughs) (laughs) We have a lot of humidity here. It's just frozen. (laughs) It will be 78 this weekend, they say, so we're going straight into the summer months. Let's begin. What is the Cuyahoga County Council thinking, seeking a formal opinion about whether the county executive lied to them? Layla, them is fighting words. (laughs) This is such a good story. So we know Cuyahoga County Executive Armin Budish's uh, you know, he, he uh, we know about this ill-advised decision to nominate labor leader Dave Wondolowski to the Port Authority Board, despite the great opposition against that appointment for, for all of his controversial behavior during the mayoral campaign season. Well, Caitlin Durbin reports that Cuyahoga County Council has now asked the county's inspector general's office to investigate whether Budish lied to them when he said that there were no concerns with appointing Wondolowski to the port board, even though he holds a conflicting public office with the Board of Elections. Wondolowski had previously sat on the board for four years while he also served on the governing board for the for the Board of Elections, but recent opinions by the county's top two legal authorities determined that those two appointments were incompatible with one another. They pointed to these founding documents from when the Port Authority Board was created in the 60s, which expressly prohibit board members from holding other public offices. Before Wondolowski could accept the port seat, he would have to resign the other. And he said that he would do that, but in light of that contingency and that clashing timeline for when Budish may have become aware of that problem, council members are questioning why he didn't bring this up when he told them in Wondolowski's April 1st nomination letter that there are no known conflicts of interest for which an advisory opinion has been requested. Those were his words. And so now they've now asked in the interim inspector general Alexa Beeler to determine whether there has been any misfeasance, malfeasance, nonfeasance, or any other violation of the county's code of ethics committed. Um, it, it, they've they've formally asked for her to weigh in on that. There's a little wrinkle here because she is also uh, up for you know an official appointment, so she's seeking. Uh, Budish's official stamp of approval, too. So if there's a conflict here for her, she needs to pass this off to the law department. I, I get I think this is a sign of conflict among the council. You know, when he first nominated Wondolowski, there was the outrage. It's a thumb in the eye of Justin Bibb. And there's a thought that he was involved in all that stuff that people said was racist. How do you not explain that? And some of the county council members pushed back. But then there was politicking that kind of leaned on them to go ahead and move this along. And so we had the story last week that said they were going to go ahead and move move forward. And now all of a sudden they stopped it. Mm -hmm. They pulled the nomination off the table yesterday. I do question whether there was an intention originally for him to step down because nobody mentioned this until 
we heard about it and and council heard about it and started saying, wait, 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 wait. There's rules about this. You can't serve on both boards. I mean, I don't I don't think that this was out there. I thought that I think Budish decided I'm going to stick my thumb in the eye of everybody and nominate Wanda Lasky. Let's be as offensive as possible to all those people who oppose me. And it's now blowing up in his face. This move tells me the county council does not want to confirm him. And they're looking for a way out, maybe pressuring Budish to withdraw the nomination. What do you think? Well, I don't know, because Wondolowski has said that, you know, when he told council that he was willing to step down from his board of elections appointment to take this appointment, he said that when Budish first approached him with this opportunity that he told him point blank from the beginning, you will likely find that you face a conflict here. So that shows that he knew from from day one that there was a conflict when he was simultaneously telling counsel there are no known conflicts. But he had that conflict for four years. I mean, it's like he's now saying, oh, by the way, it's a conflict. He, that means he lived with knowing about the conflict he did. for the four years he was right. on he both boards. Both I, boards, and that is another issue. I'm not buying it. I, I think they he should not have been on both boards. Hastily put together. It's the thumb in the eye. Armin Budish is doing all sorts of venal stuff in his last year. And, and, it, and it's now blowing up big time in his in his face. I mean, he. What what does he do? You know, you also have Greg Huth, the law director for the county, saying he should quit before you vote on him. Don't accept that he's promising to quit the elections board if you confirm mm-hmm. him. Make him quit first. And that seems like it's a smart move because there's no guarantee he would do it after. But can you imagine if he didn't? Let me come on. He says can he's going to quit the board of elections and then doesn't. <laughs> Could you have imagined Armin Budish nominating him? You've got this new mayor elected with a big mandate, right, to come in. And this is the guy who did kind of sleazy stuff to stop him. He, the mayor, does not reappoint him to the board. And now Budish does? I wouldn't have seen that coming. That seems like a really Bush League move. Don't you want to work together? Don't you want a relationship with the new mayor? You're right. This is like a weird telenovela. We're in some weird, weird territory here. I don't, every day is a new chapter. I feel like we're. (laughs) But But think about how strange it is. The county council has voted to have an investigation to find out if they were lied to by the executive. (laughs) It's so dramatic. That's a big move. So, okay, we'll be talking about this again, I am sure. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Ohio political candidates are boasting about endorsements from pastors and other religious figures around the state. Lisa, I thought the IRS prohibited nonprofit leaders from getting involved in politics. They do and they don't. There is a federal ban on partisan political activities in churches or other religious institutions. If they do so, they can lose their tax-exempt status or get charged more federal excise tax. The law does allow nonpartisan political activities, such as voter drives and producing voter guides. But here's the, here's the legal tightrope here. Churches can take positions on public policy, but they can't mention specific candidates or take stances. So candidates can go speak at a church, but they cannot fundraise there. And you have to, the church has to grant equal opportunity for others in that race to speak. So right in between there, there's kind of a catch 22 because the IRS 
really doesn't want to have the appearance of targeting religious groups. So they're kind of hesitant to go after situations where, you know, this ban might have been um, violated. And they don't want to risk costly and lengthy lawsuits either. Well, you know, in the history of Cleveland is is that the ministers, particularly on the east side, have had a lot of sway. The thinking is that they had a lot of sway in the election of Justin Bibb. So is it just that the IRS is not watching very closely or is everybody being so careful, walking the razor thin line that they don't cross it? Well, and here's another wrinkle that I didn't mention. It Pastors of churches or church leaders can personally endorse candidates so they can do it as a person so not as the you know the church is endorsing this person but it might as well be quite honestly so uh jc church who is the founder of the victory and truth ministries in Bucyrus, ohio says he's endorsed jim renacy and uh josh mandel in the uh the Senate race. So it's important for pastors, he says, to speak for values that they preach and believe. But then we also talked to Bishop Eugene Ward, who's the pastor at the Greater Love Baptist Church in the Mount Pleasant neighborhood of Cleveland. He said black churches, and we know this, black churches have long been involved in political activity. Their support means a lot, you know, for candidates, and they do play a role in vetting candidates. But Eugene Ward says he knows of some black pastors who have profited from endorsing candidates. Okay, speaking of candidates, our departed, retired colleague Jane Cahoon has sent a note saying, I misspoke yesterday, saying Peter Thiel was backing Josh Mandel when we all know he's backing J.D. Vance. I must have had a tongue twist there. (laughs) Thank you, Jane. You're listening to Today in Ohio. When will the now convicted criminal Trevor Elkins be able to run for office again? Courtney, it's amazing that he's getting off as lightly as he is because there were shenanigans going on in that campaign account. Yeah, yesterday the now former mayor of Newburgh Heights was convicted of of three misdemeanors related to campaign finance violations. And, you know, by prosecutors not pursuing any felony charges against him, it means He can run for office in the future, but as part of the plea agreement, he agreed not to run until 2028. Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit surprised that that's part of it, Uh, but I guess he'd have to get the votes. He the the money that he was spending out of that account, he said, look, I was putting my personal money into the account and I never spent more than that. But the records seem to show that he spent a lot more money than he put in on personal expenses. Right. Yeah, he tried to make that argument to the Ohio Elections Commission. Didn't fly, resulted in these charges. Um, You know, apparently he dipped into his campaign account 651 times (laughs) since since 2011. And, you know, that totaled about 134 grand. Yeah. So he's done as mayor uh, and, Mm -hmm. and maybe done as a Democratic Party force, although people do seem to return. You're listening to Today in Ohio. He managed to avoid it for more than two years, but COVID finally got the governor. Both Mike and Fran DeWine tested positive for the coronavirus. Layla, how are they? And is this evidence that we're all going to get this eventually and there's nothing we can do about it? Man, I hope not. Yes, three days after the governor tested positive, the first lady has also tested positive for COVID. A spokesman is describing their symptoms as mild. Governor DeWine's symptoms haven't gotten any worse since he was first diagnosed. They were described as having... Um, uh, he was 
was described as having a runny nose, headache, body aches, and a sore throat last week. And he's well enough to continue working from home, taking calls, and having virtual meetings. Both he and the First Lady have been double vaccinated and have had a booster. And they both received the monoclonal antibody treatment. So that will hopefully lead to a speedy and complete recovery for both of them. Um, you know, Omicron is a lot milder than than earlier forms of COVID, but it's still scary. And Chris, you mentioned that that he has uh, backed out of our, our uh, meeting with him, with the editorial board. And um, so I hope that doesn't mean that he's taken a turn. Um, I hope that it's just that he needs a little extra rest. Yeah, I mean, if you think about what his symptoms are, I don't know that I'd want to face off with our editorial yeah. board feeling that bad. Hopefully... <laughs> No, no. I yeah. mean, you want to be at your best. You're trying to put your best foot forward. Hopefully, he'll be able to do it next week. We'll reschedule. We wish him a speedy recovery. It's today in Ohio. What novel approach helped get an old leaky natural gas well at a retirement village in Cleveland plugged? And might this be the solution to the many, many unplugged wells in the state? Lisa, this was my favorite story yesterday just for being interesting. Yeah, the uh, Cleveland Franciscan Village Senior Complex in Cam Corners, they've been Cam's Corners, they've complained for years about smelling strong gas smells sporadically in the courtyard area. And earlier this year in February, contractors building a new atrium in that courtyard found a century-old natural gas well that was plugged back in the 1950s. So, you know, the Franciscan Village Management talked to the Department of Natural Resources and the Cleveland Fire Department but they what they're going to do is they found a montana based company a nonprofit called Well Done Foundation. They use money from contributors that want carbon credits. They're buying carbon credits for their emissions for their companies and uh, they will use that money to seal orphan wells. So kind of awesome. I mean, so this is a way that they can have a long-standing problem fixed. You know, but a nonprofit comes in and uses these carbon credits, which is a great use of carbon credits. They figure that uh, this Franciscan village plugging this well would result in 6,800 carbon offset credits over the next 10 years. The scary thing was that it was, you know, it was plugged decades ago with some kind of clay that cracked. And then that's leaking. I mean, how many times did they plug a well with that kind of clay so that it's all leaking? It's kind of shocking that we haven't had some massive explosion from one of these. Right. It's called fire clay. And of course, what's down there is 60 years old. It's cracked and shrank over the years. So that caused the leak to to occur. And this well is like 2,700 feet down. So it's not like it's near the surface at all. So yeah, and there are apparently hundreds of or thousands of orphan wells across the country and uh with state funds ohio will get up to 634 million including some money from the biden infrastructure deal to seal orphan wells so no taxpayer money would be involved in sealing off this well really interesting story by reporter pete cross check it out on cleveland.com you're listening to today in ohio Cuyahoga County officials celebrated last week what they called the successful, get that, successful installation of its long-delayed and way-over-budget to merge its computer systems. Courtney, you wrote (laughs) 9,452 stories on all the ways this went wrong. So in what ways are they saying it's a success, and in what ways do we know that it did miss the mark? Well, can I just say on behalf of Cuyahoga County taxpayers, hallelujah that this is over. But yes, that question about um, 
successfulness, you know, that's got some asterisks there. So, um, you know, the county did need new computer systems. This, this, this overhaul of all of its software systems that handle basic county functions was recommended way back in 2010 as part of the change in, in, in government. So there was a definite need to swap out and modernize computer systems. Just imagine the changes that have occurred over the last decade, 12 years. But it did not go at all as we planned and we were told how we were told it was going to unfold way back in 2016. This project was supposed to wrap up in 2018 per folks way back then. And four years after that, you know, it's taken three times longer than its original time frame, right? And part of those delays, you know, that's led to millions and millions in cost overruns. This was originally pitched as like a 21-ish million dollar project with a few mil left over as, as backup funds. The final price tag has grown to 35 million. You know, part of the goal of this project was to save money, to streamline some, some county functions, to offload maintenance of old computer systems. You know, we missed four years of savings. We, we, we didn't get to offload those contracts for maintenance of the old systems for four additional years. So it it's fair to say it didn't result in, in quite the level of cost savings that we were hoping going in. We also, were, but where oh, were we ahead. supposed to get a lot more from it? I mean, it was originally announced $21 million and you get the Taj Mahal of computer systems. It costs 50% more than that, and we got a shack. You know, we, we, got, we got the bulk of the functionality, but you're right. We didn't get many modules that were part of the original scope. Those have been, some of those have been deferred indefinitely. So less of a product than we were promised, much more money than, than we were supposed to pay for it. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of drawbacks here. And I will say it is noteworthy. To my knowledge, I'm like 99% sure that there's never been a real cost-benefit analysis. So the benefits that we did get, we'll never really know like by how much it was quote-unquote worth it to do this system because we've never seen numbers of savings here. It just seems odd to me that they're celebrating this because I, I look at this as second to the jail as the biggest failing of the county administration and i'm not sure it's working as well as they say i don't know if you heard but yesterday the person that runs the fleet for the cuyahoga county public safety division sent a note out to everybody saying hey the credit cards you use to buy gas aren't working because of a problem with our account so if you need gas you got to come to our yard that seems like they're not paying their bills right i mean we already know they didn't pay the nexus bill that the legal people all use for research now they're not paying their credit card bills is that a problem with the computer or is it just general incompetence we'll have to figure it out you know go ahead yeah, just it's it's worth noting that you know when they rolled out prior pieces of this, there were problems with purchasing and procurement for months. So I wouldn't be surprised if this latest piece they rolled out has some hiccups. Yeah, and I think they had to write paper checks in the first week because people weren't getting their direct deposit or something. Layla, wasn't that the story? Yes, yes, and but but it sounded like it was uh, a smaller group of people who were impacted by that than we initially had heard. You know what I want to know, though, is, is um, since we are so many years late with this, how many years before this system is obsolete and <laughs> needs to be overhauled? <laughs> oh, that's a real conversation. They, they've yeah. already talked about potential needed Oh, upgrades. man. Wow. Yeah. Wow. What a disaster. Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio.
When do the leaders of Ohio's election offices want to schedule a primary for the legislative races? Layla, this was unilateral, bipartisan, which kind of surprised me because it flies in the face of something the Supreme Court said in its opinion last week. Yeah, they want it to be August 2nd, which, like you said, is contrary to the Supreme Court's suggestion of, of late September. Uh, Ohio is, is holding primary elections for most races on May 3rd, but this never-ending redistricting saga means the state has to hold a second primary election for Ohio House races and more than half of Ohio Senate seats. But when? A panel of three federal judges has said that if state lawmakers don't move the legislative primary date by this Wednesday, April 20th, they may act on their own to set a date. Secretary of State Frank LaRose, who is among the Republicans on the redistricting commission who voted for those rejected maps, argued to the Supreme Court that August 2nd is the latest elections officials can hold a primary to be ready for the November 8th general election. And the Ohio Association of Election Officials agreed with him because of all these complicated deadlines that they have to meet involving when early voting can begin, when overseas and military ballots can be sent, and and when ballots have to be tested and proofed and so forth. Plus, once a new legislative map is finally approved, boards of elections will need need up to two weeks to incorporate the map into their computer systems. So August 2nd seems to be that sweet spot where all of that can happen in time is, is their argument. But we all know that that's nonsense, as Cleveland proves every four years when it holds a primary for the mayor and city council in September, six weeks Mm. before the general election. And if the city of Cleveland can pull that off, (laughs) you got to think that anybody can. (laughs) Well, I don't know enough about how how, uh, all these moving parts uh, operate to comment on that, but... The Supreme Court did say, they did, in their opinion, point out that there are states sure. elsewhere that are doing it later. It seems like this is a false move, but it was bipartisan. It was every right. elections chief in the state saying this. So uh, you got to think that they, they're worried about being able to stage the general sure. election. right. You're right. Well, it, it would be easy to do, right, if Frank LaRose and Mike DeWine and company just did what they were supposed to do and put together non-gerrymandered maps quickly, we'd be fine. Yes. It's just they keep delaying it because they're trying to keep power disproportionate to what the state is in a repeated effort to thwart the Constitution and the orders of the court. We are still waiting for the Supreme Court's next move on holding them in contempt for failing to do it. I guess they have a little bit of time to respond, uh, have some filings to do, but we still have Isn't that, that today? Or no, tomorrow. tomorrow? No, it's the 20th, yeah. Yeah, and so I still have my fantasy of them all in orange jumpsuits (laughs) in a jail cell. We'll see. (laughs) It's Today in Ohio. How many people employed by the state of Ohio make more money than the governor, the state's highest-ranking public official? Lisa, this is one of those stories we put together based on data that has interesting anecdotes in it, and it is a lot of people that are paid more than Mike DeWine. Yeah, Governor DeWine is number 331 in the rank of pay for 51,594 state employees. Uh, he makes $45,000 a year, 45124 to be exact, and that's about $80 an hour. Um Some of the elected officials that make more of him are on the Ohio Supreme Court in the judicial branch, including his son, Pat DeWine. So his son makes about... Uh, 
two thousand dollars more a year than his than his father. He makes forty seven thousand three hundred and forty three on the Supreme Court. Well, but we top- all want our children to do better than we did. <laughs> But the, the top seven salaries are all psychiatrists when the, with the Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services. They are all making more than $100,000 in the first three months of this year. 58 psychiatrists make more than Governor DeWine. Also 30 nurses, seven transportation engineers, three environmental specialists, two bridge specialists, and one meat inspection supervisor makes more money than Governor DeWine. <laughs> I guess it all comes down to the market. I mean, it's the, the, the supply and demand. And if the jobs are in short supply and you've got to hire them, you've got to pay what the market is. But uh, it's just it's just kind of a slap when you think that the governor is paid less than hundreds of people. So the, these are first the high- quarter salaries, right? Correct. Okay, first, first quarter, quarter. Cra- okay. salaries, yes. And the highest paid elected official is Supreme Court Justice Michael Donnelly. He made $51,132 in the first quarter of 2022. Hmm. Okay. Check out the story on cleveland.com. Is it our imagination or has April been an extension of winter for years now? Courtney, we asked Rich Exner to look into the data because we've been theorizing that the climate change has pushed pushed the cold season further up, that it stays warmer in October and November than it always has, but it seems like it's taken forever to come out of winter. We haven't really checked the fall part yet, but we do have some interesting findings for the recent years of spring. Yeah, so based on what Rich found, it looks like it has been colder the past couple years than we're used to in mid-April, 15th, 16th, you know, around now. Um, In, um, let's see, last year, the highs were in the, the, you know, high 40s. Year before that, mid 40s, dipping down into 39 around this stretch. This year, we're in the 40s. It hasn't been since, you know, three or four years now where we're getting close to the average of... 61 so we are below we i think it's fair to say we are below what the average has been the bar graph he put together had april uh for for a series of decades and you know it bounces around in all sorts of ways but when you get to this year once you hit the two the or once you get to the the 2020s even though it's only been three years that line goes straight to hell man it goes right down and we gotta end this because there's snow outside right now i'll tell you i have definitely been the reporter in when i was in my 20s who you guys sent out to interview people shoveling snow on Easter Sunday. So I know that we have seen this before. <laughs> yes, we have. I, we've had some thick snow on some Easter Sundays. Uh, it's just the past three years, we keep waiting to come into spring and we, we don't do it. But as Lisa notes, what what's the temperature supposed to be this weekend, Lisa? It's supposed to be in the upper 70s for Saturday and Sunday. Okay, wow. well, something... It's going to be hot. Right. We're going from winter to hot, but we'll take it. It's better than what we have right now. Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio, and that does it. We'll give you three minutes back on your day. Thanks, Courtney. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Lisa. And thank you for listening to Today in Ohio.